Thank you, Lord, for showing up and helping us. Oh, man, my heart's got so many things in it, I'm hoping I can tie it all together. Uh, thank you, Lord. Um, God is so awesome. And there's something that I'm learning about the Lord, and, and I feel like a kindergartner in this thing sometimes. I don't have it all figured out at all, and I want to keep it that way because as soon as we think we figured it out, then we're in trouble, okay? So, so we're kind of walking in mystery when it comes to following the Lord, which is exciting. Um, the Western mindset would want to have everything figured out and have a formula for everything. Uh, but God isn't like that. God calls us into a mystery that's called life. That we don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds tomorrow, right? So we're walking in the trust and the faith factor that God has numbered our days. Uh, the psalmist said he's numbered our wanderings. He's put every tear that we've cried in a bottle and put them in a book. Wow. Psalm 58, I think, or 56? I can't remember. Um, but he's put, put all of our wanderings in a bottle. So he's watched us. He's with us. And that's the crazy thing about the Lord is, is that when you get saved, you think that you found the Lord. But as you walk with God, you found out that He found you. And after you, have, after you come to that realization that He found you, you then look back and see that God's hand was there all the time. And you begin to recount all these things. And so God meets us in our story right where we're at. And when He meets us there, we find out it wasn't that he met us there. It was that he was always there. We were just so blind to our own ignorance and our own sin and our own disobedience that we couldn't see his hand in our life. So really coming to faith in Jesus is about your eyes being open to the fact that God is there and present in every single place. Why do we think Saul, Paul and Silas could begin to praise in a prison cell and begin to evoke praise while they're in first century stocks, which the first century stocks weren't, wasn't like our stocks where, you know, uh, if you think about maybe the old English shows where they've got their head in something in their arms and, you know, they're being kind of ridiculed by the town folk. Um, the first century stocks would contort you at a strange angle. So you would have your feet in stocks here and then your hands would be here and it would hold you in that position so that your muscles would be contorted where it would begin to, uh, begin to spasm and then would draw in so tight that you couldn't even stand it anymore. You would, just, you would just be locked up in a muscle spasm with no relief. And Paul and Silas begin to praise God in that moment. God, give us eyes to see that you're there even in the worst of times, right? And so what I'm learning about the Lord is, is that He's always here, He's always present if we have eyes to see Him. And so Jesus is pulling us into that reality. And, you know, I used to tell people they should ask Jesus into their life or into their heart. You know, I've all heard that. The more I'm learning about Scripture is we're not to ask Jesus into our life. He's asking us to come into His life. 
that we're leaving our life behind and stepping into Jesus' life to live out the reality of relationship with God here and now throughout all eternity, that there would be no more separation between God and man. And this is Jesus' grand... Uh, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. This is Jesus, what he's trying to remove, separation between God and man. This is Jesus' great plan. So why does God become a man? Because he doesn't even want a millimeter of space between him and human flesh. God becomes flesh because he enters into the human situation and all its mistakes and all its messes and all its stuff and he enters into it. And do you know how he enters into it? He enters into it the way me and you enter into it. Powerless. Not willing to even consider himself equal with God, the Bible says. But he takes on the form of a servant and is obedient even under the cross. In other words, Jesus didn't go manipulating everything around him so that he had an easy path. And for some reason, the church thinks that we ought to manipulate everything around us in order to have some kind of little easy path. That's not Jesus' power. Jesus' power is saying, I don't have to manipulate everything. I don't have to control every family member or every addict or every person. I can just enter into the human situation knowing that God is in every single moment and in every single place with me. And that's true power is being content in any situation no matter what it holds. That this is what Jesus did. Jesus... Goes into the wilderness. He's baptized by John the Baptist. Comes up. Says he was sent by the Spirit into the wilderness. Spends 40 days. Now that's going to set off some flags to, um, to an Israelite reading that. He's in the wilderness and they see the number 40. That looks like Israel in 40 years of wandering. So what the Bible's trying to portray to us is Jesus is fulfilling the faithfulness of Israel that they couldn't fulfill. And when Jesus enters it, he enters it just like me and you. Because Satan shows up and he hasn't eaten 40 days. I don't eat in 12 hours and I'm ready to fist fight somebody. Come on now. You heard it, hangry. You ever got hangry? David, he's the world's worst. Sucker's fit, but man, he could eat... A, Man, the truckload of food. I see this guy. He's out of control. Pray for him. Told him when that metabolism ever catches up, man, you're in trouble, bro. What was I saying? 40 days, wilderness. It's crazy. He was hangry. So guess what? Satan shows up. Wants him to enter into what Satan defines as power, manipulating circumstances to make the road easier for you. So he shows up and says, huh, you had Nate in 40 days. It wasn't like Jesus was this stoic robot who like had no emotions. Like, you know, you watch the, the shows and he's got like an English accent and he's like, I have no personality. But Jesus was fully human, man. Fully God, fully human. The Bible says he was tempted at every point just as you, yet without sin. Wow. Thank you, Lord. So he has empathy for us because he knows how hard it is to say no. That God would submit himself to a place to where he would have to say no 
and potentially have a little bit of him that maybe wanted to. Crazy. Yet because he was God, he could only choose to do what was right. So it's kind of this weird, crazy dynamic. So Satan shows up and says, man, look at those stones there. You should turn those into bread to make your life a lot easier. It says, man shall not live by bread alone. But every word proceeds out of the mouth of God. Satan takes them over. Hmm. Shows them all the kingdoms of the world. And says, they've been handed over to me. Who handed them over to him? Adam. Because <laughs> when Adam fell in the garden, he didn't just disobey God, he obeyed Satan. He made Satan his God. And so Satan became the God of this age, the God of this world. See, that's the thing is, when we fail God, it's not just that we're disobedient to God, we're obeying another entity. And that's why Paul says it this way. He said, you're either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. That's the only two realities. Is that we're all serving something. We're all serving something. So we're either serving God or we're serving Satan. We're serving sin. We're serving our own nature. So he shows them all the kingdoms of the world and says, bow down to me and I'll show you the fast track of how to get there. And Jesus won't bow a knee to Satan. Jesus knows he's going to a cross, but he doesn't manipulate the circumstance to take the easier path. He says, I'm entering into the life's experiences at face value. And only with the power God provides. And while it looks like powerlessness, it's actually power. This is the first rule in recovery. Powerless. Powerless to overcome addiction. You're powerless to overcome sin in and of yourself. It's only until you bow a knee to Jesus that you now have someone to answer to that has the power that can free you. Jesus doesn't bow a knee. Jesus is entering into life on life's terms. And says, I'm going to walk this thing out the way God unfolds it for my life. That He's embracing the mission of God the plan of God and he's not trying to turn all the switches and all the knobs to make everything happen. Now that's power. When you can take your hands off and say, God, if only you do it, it's the only way it's going to get done. And you can enter into that mystery with God by your side. You're going to find you, that is the place of power when it comes to walking with the Lord. It's not having all the answers. I've walked through some of the darkest seasons of my life and not even be able to see my hand in front of me and just be like, God, I hope you're still there because I don't feel you. But I'm trusting 
that you're not a man that you should lie. And you said you'd never leave or forsake me. So regardless of what I feel, I'm entering life into life's circumstances on life's terms, and I'm walking this thing out, and I'm setting my face towards you, God, and nothing's going to change my mind about it. There's a turning point in Jesus' ministry where it says he set his face like a flint headed toward Jerusalem. And those who were closest to him tried to talk him out of it. The story of the Gospels is the story of everybody trying to get Jesus off a cross. And the story of the Gospels is Jesus having his face set like a flint to say, nothing's getting me off the cross. So Jesus is setting his face like a flint, and then Peter shows up in his life, and Peter has this great moment. You ever had a great moment with God, and you were like, wow, that was really cool. God tell you something, and it's actually right for somebody's life or something, and you're like, wow, I'm awesome. <laughs> Come on, let's be honest. Feels good. So Jesus looks at the disciples and says, who do men say that I am? Isn't it funny that Jesus wants to know what the world says about him? The reason why Jesus wants to know what the world says about him is so that we'll know how to address the world to properly tell them who he actually is. And some of the church people are so distant from the world, we don't even know what the world thinks about Jesus. We haven't engaged anybody. They knew. Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say this, some say that. And then Jesus looks at his disciples and says, who do you say that I am? And Peter gets it right. He steps up and he says, Matthew 16, you're the Christ. You're the Son of God. And then Jesus is blown away by it. <laughs> He's probably blown away when we get it right. Whoa, I can't believe they get it right. And he says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. So Peter heard the voice of God, and it shocks Jesus. Whoa. If you read a few verses later in Matthew 16, Jesus then says, after they acknowledge he's the Christ, he's got to qualify that statement now. What does it mean to be the Christ? They're thinking, conquer, thrones, ruling. Jesus is like, not yet. It's a cross. It's a death to die. And that's what God's calling us into. God's teaching us how to die. How to enter into the frailty of humanity and say, this is how you die with class. And when you die with class, you never really die. You just go on into the presence of Jesus. Your last breath here, there's no space between your next breath, breath and the presence of Jesus. So death is no more. Death isn't even a reality. That's why first century Christians are being thrown into the lion's den and they're worshiping while they're doing it. Why? They understood that death isn't really a reality. There's no moment between you dying and being in the presence of God. That's why Paul says to live is Christ, to die is gain. How do we live? To live is gain and to die is Christ.
because we haven't stepped into the life of Christ. We're just trying to get to heaven and miss hell. And we miss out on the beauty of the beautiful, most beautiful thing, and that's a relationship with Jesus and walking with Him and treasuring that. So Christianity isn't a fast track to manipulate your circumstances and have a better life. You're called into live a life in relationship with Jesus and that life being so strong that the demonic cannot even stand it, they can't stomach it, and it drives them crazy. Because what the demonic wants you to do, get off the cross. Take back control of your life, put your hands on the steering wheel, and get on the throne. So Jesus tells them, I've got to qualify what this is about being the Christ. And he says, I'm going to be handed over into sinful men. And these brutal sinful men are going to, going to murder me. I'm going to be crucified. But on the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead. And Peter does the oddest thing. Remember, he just got the word. This is the Christ. And he pulls him aside and says, Hey, Jesus, won't you quit telling everybody you're going to die? Yeah, all this crucifixion and third day, you need to stop that. We know better for your life, Jesus. And if you'd listen to me, Jesus, and if you would guide your life the way I'm telling you to do it, then Jesus, you'd be so much better off if you would follow my plan and not your own. So what happened? We see a picture of Adam in the garden saying, God, on my terms, not on yours. And if Jesus would have gave any precedence to that moment, power would have been handed from Jesus right back into the hands of Satan. And there would have been no hope. But Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Because you do not know the things of God. Now, if I'm looking at that, I'm thinking, he's just trying to talk Jesus out of suffering. But the reason why he's trying to talk him out of suffering is because he don't even understand his own situation of his life. He thinks he's so good that he doesn't need God to die for him. And when we live a life based upon our own goodness and our own ability and our own works, we fall right into Satan's plans. We fall right into his plans. And we miss out on the power of God. Why? Because God becomes an easy way to manipulate my circumstances, to give me what I want, to, to answer every beck and call. And God becomes our errand boy and our servant. But he never becomes what he really wants to be, and that's dad. That's Savior. It's Lord of our life. So sometimes power is powerlessness. And us being okay with stepping into the mystery of life, saying, God, set forth my, my path and don't let me grab a hold of this wheel and start turning because I will turn it to the easiest path necessary and I'll miss out on the glory of God. The only time that I know of that we see Jesus rebuking Satan in Scripture is when he manifests in Peter. The guy who he said he's going to build his church on. 
You're not exempt, <laughs> okay? We're all guilty of that, grabbing the wheel and saying, God, I'm steering, get in the driver's seat. Remember those stickers, Jesus is my co-pilot, right? And people would get up in arms about that. No, he's got to be driving the ship, you know. But in reality, you need to just go ahead and put yourself in the trunk and lock yourself in. Huh? Let Jesus abduct you, put some duct tape on you where you can't get back up there. And pull a Carrie Underwood and just say, Jesus, take the wheel. You know what I'm saying? One of them kind of deals. So Jesus' own people trying to get him off the cross. Satan tries to tempt him to get him off the cross. Jesus is on the cross, and the people looking said, if you're really God, then get down off the cross. And what they didn't understand is, because he was God, he couldn't get off the cross. That the cross was uniquely tied to his life and his destiny. That sometimes God's plan for us is not the most painless. And that's hard to tell in an age where pain is to be medicated at all costs. God isn't calling us into the most easiest, pain-free life. He's calling us into the life with the most joy and the most glory and the most relationship. He's calling us to be a bride that would enter into union with Him forever. And if you've ever been married, you know it's a battle sometimes. But after the fight's over, come on somebody. <laughs> so God's calling us into this marriage and we can't put our hands back on the wheel. You're going to have to walk this thing out. Yep. You're going to have to walk it out with not even knowing what tomorrow's going to hold whether another prayer you pray even gets answered. And you're going to have to be okay with it when it doesn't happen. You're going to have to enter into the mystery just the way Jesus did, knowing that whatever happens, God's going to turn it to some kind of good. And you have to submit to that plan and just say, Jesus, I'm yours, I'm in relationship with you, and I've set my face like a flint to Jerusalem, and I'm not forsaking the cross in my life. That's why Jesus said, if any man wants to come after me, deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And Luke, daily. There's something about embracing humanity the way Jesus did. To say, I don't have to figure it all out. But I know in the end, I rise from the dead. And that's what the cross is. The cross is the most ugly event in human history. Men killing God. 
And God says, I can even make that good. And the same ones that are saying, crucify him, give us Barabbas, are the same ones that bow a knee in Acts chapter 2 and say, how must we be saved? A turnaround. That Jesus went from pouring into 12 men and now he's named on every continent with estimated 2 billion people from a 30-year-old homeless Jewish carpenter from nowhere, Nazareth. So when we enter into this mystery with the deck stacked against us, when God's with us, we win. We win. So as we enter into life, and we feel the confusion of, do I do this or do I do that? Or am I here or am I there? Am I, you know, just life's crazy sometimes. Is that we enter into that season and say, you know what? God, you said you'd never leave me or forsake me. The steps of a righteous person are ordered of the Lord. I'm submitted to you. Everything's on the table at any time. Whatever you need to, to deal with me on, I'm going to open. I'm just open and vulnerable with you in relationship. And God, I know you're going you're gonna to work it all out for the good. You're going to work it all out. And so there's just seasons of this sometimes that we have to embrace. But we have to set our face like a flint toward Jerusalem. Toward the most scary place that we, he could possibly be wanting to go. And Jesus won't let anybody talk him out of it. I don't know about you, but when I'm going to the most scariest place I don't want to go, I'm like, please somebody talk me out of this. This is a bad idea, ain't it? <laughs> and Jesus is the great champion. So Jesus enters into human flesh to take away every bit of space between man and God. And he becomes our representative. He fulfills the obedience that we couldn't fulfill. And he rises up into the right hand of God and he's seated there in heavenly places to rule and reign until everybody is under his feet, every enemy. Until every knee bows and every tongue confesses Jesus as Lord. Now something else crazy happens. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. So what are we getting here? We're living here on the earth. There's the prince of the power of the air. The demonic forces. But then above all that is Jesus at the right hand of God ruling and reigning with everything under his feet. So the Bible says you're seated with him there. So here's what's going on here. We have third heaven power while we're living in the first heaven earth. When we're willing to have the mind of Christ 
and embrace life the way that he embraces it. That we have third heaven power in the first person, in the first heaven world that we live in. It's amazing. It's amazing. So, with that being said, what Satan wants to try to do is influence us here on the earth and get us to use first heaven power against other people. That we would see not like Paul who says our battle is not flesh and blood, but that our battle is against principalities and powers. In other words, there's something animating the world to make it the way it is. So Satan wants us to think our problem is our neighbor when in reality our problem is with him and the fact that our heart is not in right relationship with God. So Satan in the second heaven realm is trying to influence us on the first heaven realm here on the earth and get us to be against one another, to cause division, to cause chaos, and to cause all kinds of things. And here's what I'm learning. I've been seeing some tricks of the enemy, and here's what I'm learning. And Tim said this, and now I think, I think I'm kind of wrapping my mind around it, is that Satan's really not that creative. Is he's only really got a few different little tricks up his sleeve. And most of the time, it's just to bring confusion where you don't know what to do to take the next step. But when we have the mind of Christ, which is, I'm taking on the form of a servant. I don't have to have people serve me here. I don't have to have, I'm going to serve other people, matter of fact. So we're free from men and free from their expectations and from their pats on the back. We have third heaven power that says, I can take on the, the form of a servant the way Jesus did. And I'm going to love the ones that hate me because I see the spiritual power behind them and see what's animating them. And I can walk in life with third heaven power because I understand who my enemy is. It's not my neighbor it's the principalities and powers and Satan so when I can begin to rid myself of, of the expectations of others of, the, of, of what others think of me and, 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 and am, am I getting my way or am I not getting my way and I can have that Jesus mindset that says I'm going to the cross no matter what I'm staying with God I'm setting my face like a flint if that girl breaks up with me I'm setting my face like a flint if that guy does this to me I'm setting my face like a flint if all this stuff I know what's behind all that it's the principalities and powers it's not them. Matter of fact, I'm going to start praying for them. I'm going to start washing feet. I'm going to start rising above. And then when you begin to have the mind of Christ, that's not just telling demons to go, but that's washing the feet of those who are wronging you and everything else. When you begin to free yourself and begin to walk in that kind of way, suddenly the demons are on the run. That Jesus defeated the demonic realm by dying on a cross. Doesn't look very victorious, does it? Washing feet doesn't look very victorious. You think Julius Caesar went around and washed everybody's feet and that's how he conquered the world? No, it was at the end of a sword with a lot of blood. 
But Jesus is ruling and reigning. And eventually, he's going to have every enemy under his feet. Oh, my timer went off here. Thanks, Tim. They've been saying I'm preaching too long. I said, man, I'm just getting warmed up. So that's the reality. It doesn't look glorious to win like God wins. It looks a lot like washing feet and dying on a cross. But when we submit to that reality, Satan's got no more hold on us. That's where the real power comes in. That's where perfect love comes in and it casts out all fear. Because now I know I'm in God's hands. Whatever happens, He's with me every step of the way. And what would be more important than me getting my way is me being in relationship with God. You ever, you ever turned your back on God and kind of had that season of rebellion? And then be like, why did I do that? It's like when you find God, you're like, why did I ever leave you, Lord? But sometimes we just forget how good He is. Forget what it is to know Him and to, to love Him. And, and it just happens to us sometimes. But every once in a while, we just have to take an inventory and say, where's my heart really at with God? What happens if this person tells me no that I put all my trust and faith in? What happens if I'm, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm here and I'm here because I'm trying to get strength because I'm believing for this? But what happens if what I'm believing for doesn't come to pass because God doesn't have that in His plan for me? But sometimes... God doesn't answer our prayers, you know why? Because I think He knows that we would leave Him if we got what we were asking for. And He's using the crisis to draw us into a relationship with Him. Not just to get our prayer answered, but so we might find out how great He is and that we might be satisfied either way it went because now we know God. Now that's power. That's power. It looks powerless. Looks powerless to take your hands off and say, okay, God, I'm going with you. But God said, that's power. That's power. That every step that Jesus played out in his life was to draw us into that reality. That's why the Bible is always putting us together. It says, you were buried with him in baptism unto death but then you were raised just like him by the glory of the father to a newness of life it never singles out Jesus work separate from you being a part of and in him with him making it happen Jesus is drawing us into the life of God and that's where the power is power is in washing some feet Helping some folks out that can't help themselves. And some stuff nobody ever sees. But you know God sees. 
And it's all about pleasing Him. It's all about Him. And when we begin to live this way, we begin to make Jesus look like the greatest treasure in the entire earth. People's going to begin to take notice. And that's why Peter says, man, we're a peculiar people. We're peculiar because we're taking a different path. We're taking the path that God set forth for us. Which isn't about ease. It's not about your ego. It's not about how great you are. It's about Him shaping you into the image of Jesus. And if that means for a moment that He doesn't give you what you want to see how you're going to act, to see if you're willing to go to that place with Jesus and humble yourself unto Him, then He'll do it. Because He loves you so much, He's willing to get to the heart of what your relationship's really about. That He would reveal everything in its time and in its season so that you wouldn't go on thinking that you were something that you weren't. You ever think you know yourself and then something bad happens and you're like, whoa, where did that craziness come from? Hello? Yeah? God's not afraid of that. He's like, I want to, you to see that because we need to work in this area right here. And he won't run off and say, oh, you're worse than I thought. Then he said, I needed that expression to come out so that you'd have the opportunity to know what was really in you. And I'm not going anywhere until we fix it. I'm not going anywhere and I'm not letting you off the hook because I love you too much to be in a false pretense of what our relationship is. I've got to know you as you are and you've got to know me as I am and everything's on the table and I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> Stacy's back. Clapper. I'm glad we don't have them lights in here. We'll be dark. Clapper lights. All right, I've rambled enough. Stand to your feet with me. Just let's just play a song real close. If it's some.